I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, and I'm jumping right into business, man. We're going straight to takeoff, uh, launch the alert fighter. Uh, it's the game week. And, of course, who better to help me uh, fly this uh, remarkable airplane uh, through the uh, ups and downs of the game week than my ample uh, co-pilot, Austin Ward. Austin Ward, welcome back to the Tim May Podcast. Ample co-pilot. Man, I got to stop going to Roosters every Monday. Yeah. <clears throat> you know what? That came out wrong. But you know what I'm saying. You know what I mean. You know, my qualified, my, my overqualified co-pilot. How about All that? Right. All right. Yeah. I love it. You know when you got a guy that can also, land. A plane. You're also not wrong about the other part. Yeah, yeah. But you know when you got a guy that can land a plane at least as well as you can. You know, wow, you got you got quite the cockpit going for you. But I digress. So Ohio State versus Michigan, and I almost called you awesome. I t- promised your mom I wouldn't do that anymore, Austin. It's Ohio State, Michigan. Yeah. It's like the good old days again. Uh, the Big Ten East championship is on the line. Was it was this like 2016 again? Well, what am I thinking about? When's the last time everything was adding up like this in such a 16 with East yeah. Division on the line for one game, winner take all, go to the Big Ten title, go to the college football playoff uh, after that. Um, that was you know, there's been a few blowouts since then, and competitively it wasn't the same. I mean, this is what you want if you're Ohio State, if you're you know across the border on the other side. Uh, to borrow those expressions from the Buckeyes. I mean, that's – you want it on the line for this game. And college football is better when this game has those high stakes attached to it. The rivalry is still the best no matter what, uh, even if they were both uh, under 500. You know that it would be worth watching either way. But, boy, yes. it's so much sweeter like this. Yeah, absolutely, man. The 10-year war, this this is what this is what was built on Woody versus Bo. Now you got uh, Jim – but now you got Ryan versus Jimbo. No, I'm just Ryan versus Jim. But uh, uh, and it would be fun if they called him Jimbo, wouldn't it? That would be perfect. Maybe they will if he if he finally wins one of these. But I digress. Right. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, to help set this uh, game in proper perspective, I've got uh, Matt Wilhelm, former Ohio State linebacker, part of that 2001 team that they didn't know they flipped the script. Man, all they knew was they finally beat Michigan. <laughs> you know, in 2001, Jim Trussell's first season and the way everything turned from that moment on, talk about a pivot point. That's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the paint right there. And uh, and then, of course, I've got John Bacon, uh, noted Michigan football and Michigan athletics, but mainly Michigan football historian, uh, noted author. I've got him on to paint the picture. And the great thing about John is he has a he has a eyes wide open approach to everything he does, including uh, what he thinks of this ridiculous Ohio State offense this year on a record pace, a school record pace in terms of total offense. Just crazy uh, what this offense has become, especially in the last couple of games. You and I are going to get into that a little bit too. But, uh, you know, it is cool to have a guy who's been watching uh, the Michigan the Michigan Ohio State series uh, as closely as John Bacon. It's cool to have him on this week 
It's also cool to have Matt Wilhelm on, right? A guy who spilled blood in this game and was part of that group that turned it. I think it's cool to have you on since you've been covering uh, this rivalry as as long as well as anybody. I mean, you've seen what forty three uh, versions or more. Just yeah, uh, you know, just as a newspaper guy, probably you know, add some more into that. Uh, whatever it was before, um, <laughs> I mean, there's nobody who's seen. Well, there may be one or two. Yeah. But in terms of covering it, I mean, on this side of it, uh, there's nobody who's got that track record as you. So I think that's pretty cool. If I need to know something about what happened in the game, I'm going to you. Nobody can see it, but I'm blushing. I'm blushing. I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm embarrassed with all that you just bestowed on me there. Like I'm some kind of uh, walking, talking encyclopedia, a.k.a. Jack Park. But uh, yeah, well, I, 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 I have seen. I, you know, I remember watching these games, man. On television, the highlight, you know, back then you couldn't have every game on television. You well know back in the 60s and 70s. And team couldn't be on national television more than three times in two years. And uh, But I remember the 68 game, the confetti falling from uh, from uh, on high in that game. It looked like it was snowing. And uh, Rex Kern and company got the job done. And and uh, from then on, I was – believe it or not, I remember watching the game on our old black and white television in Demopolis, Alabama. I swear it was a 61 – 60 – one game, I think it was, but Ohio State had those helmets with the big, uh, uh, what do you want to call it, uh, scarlet stripe, although it was uh, basically a, a black stripe on their helmets yeah. on black and white television, but those were pads. Remember those old helmets? You've seen pictures of those old helmets. Uh, yeah. The grand experiment back then to even uh, lessen the impact of head-on collisions, <laughs> which we live with today, which is ejections. Uh, but I digress. But, yeah, I go back a long way from keeping up with this game, even though, as everybody knows, I grew up an Alabama fan and grew up in Texas and stuff. But this game has always held my fascination because of almost always it seemed like there was something on the line that mattered. And it is again this weekend. It is kind of cool how these two ships have headed into this collision again, right, uh, with so much on the line, isn't it? Yeah, I, you know, if I'm being honest, you know, Tim, when I think about what's on the line on Saturday and – you know, I don't think – I'll just say this before we even get into it later in the show. Yeah. I don't think Michigan is capable of winning this game on Saturday. But I I did not think at all that the Jim Harbaugh era would allow this to happen again with these stakes. I thought that he had, you know, lost control, that the patience was out. You, I, you know, he was trying to leave actively, whether a lot of people want to admit that fact or not in Ann Arbor. And he wasn't desirable at the NFL level. I mean, he wasn't going to take another college job. I mean, that's that, that's the only place that he's he knows that. Yeah. But it, you know, could have made a justifiable case in the last year or two uh, for Michigan to move what move on from him, uh, just because the results weren't there, and that's why he has such a smaller contract now. Because you know, maybe they didn't think they could do better than this guy, but they also recognized he wasn't doing the job that they wanted him for. So. He's made some dramatic changes, and they seem to be taking the, the rivalry more seriously. He brought in, you know, some younger, newer ideas on the coaching staff. They've played very hard for him this year. They let one get away that they probably should have won. Yep. The uh, college football playoff selection committee certainly thinks that they should have beat Michigan State as well. Um, that's beside the point. But I didn't think that he would turn it around enough that he would get to coach in another game of this magnitude against Ohio State. So before any of the rest of it, I think that that's, you know, I will give them credit for that and give Jim Harbaugh credit for that. 
to get it back to this level, I didn't think he could do it. So it's it, that part is very, very cool, and he does deserve credit for that. Yeah, you know, John Bacon and I get into that uh, uh, to quite an, quite an extent. And, uh, you know, John uh, basically lays out the details of that pay cut, et cetera, that J- Jim Harbaugh took, but it has incentives in it. And, and uh, you know, if he beats Ohio State and, and wins a Big Ten championship, he gets almost all of that cut back. I mean, that's what's crazy. You know, and he would have earned it. He would have yeah, earned it. Absolutely. Hey, you know, maybe that's the way life should be should be played, you know. But as you pointed out, I think in a tweet last week, it was or a couple of weeks ago, somebody was talking about this, that, and the other about coaches' uh, incentives and stuff. And you go, boy, isn't that what they isn't that what they're paying you your big time salary to do in the first place is compete and win championships, you know, and make sure players are, you know, to a certain extent, staying in school, graduating, getting their academic stuff done. Is why why do you get bonuses for things that you're supposed to be doing on your, it'd be like you getting a bonus every time you complete a story and somebody goes, Hey, that's a pretty good story. Boom. You get a $10,000 bonus. I mean, that sounds like a great idea. I know it does, but is it going to happen? What's your, what's your thought? What's your thought process on that? Uh, seems unlikely, but <laughs> you know, and that's, that's the part of it. Like, you know, Jim Harbaugh wanted to do all these things and take Michigan to, to Rome and, and South Africa, wherever all, Paris. All else. Everywhere other than Indianapolis, um, they that's that's fine. Like, great job. Everybody who goes to Michigan is going to get a, a good education. Everybody who goes to Ohio State is going to get a good education. Yeah. And if they're going to continue to play football, they're going to have to have good grades. This stuff is not, like, out of the norm. Right. Um, it's not what you pay the football coach to do because you're not allowed to play football if you don't do that part anyway. Yeah. So that's not up to them. Like if Matt Campbell was the one standing up there and saying, oh, well, I, I didn't say that our goal was to win the Big 12 this year, even though a bunch of his players did, because yeah. that's what you play to do. And it's foolish not to have that listed as a goal for your team. But he's claiming that uh, he you know, never said they needed to win the Big 12 this year. or That was their goal and that they only needed to be the best versions of themselves. Like, uh, I'm sorry, that's not how it works. Uh, and if you believe that, then take that in, that bonus out of your contract that says for every win over six, uh, every conference championship, every bowl appearance, that you're getting paid this amount of dollars. Like, I mean, you have to have tangible goals. Uh, otherwise, he should be just volunteering to work there for free. You know, me asking you that question reminded me of uh, one time I passed a garden hose with tape, and then I didn't think it was holding well, so I pulled the tape off and boom. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's what I love about you, Austin Ward. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, Tim May Podcast proceeds. You knew what was going to happen. But, oh, yeah, I know. I know. That's why I just sat back and you notice I didn't interrupt you. You know, that one, that one guy always gets mad when I interrupt people. I didn't interrupt you. I let you go on. You're still, it was, it was kind of like a, you know, a, a guy appearing on a, on a, on a late night TV show. He's got a great uh, comedy skit going. I'm not going to interrupt it. You're, <laughs> I agreed with everything you just said. I mean, how much is too much, you know, when it comes to doing your job? I mean, geez, I mean, uh, I almost said a really bad word there, but I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy anymore. And you know what? I think colleges, I, 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 just when I thought they were coming to grips with this, I'm not sure they are, man. You're seeing guys get fired, getting, what, what is Dan Mullen getting for, for, he just got this big contract uh, renewal, et cetera, a year ago when they when he played for the SEC championship, he's gone now. What do they owe him? Is it, 10 million. I can't remember the amount of money 
and in, and they just fired him in Florida. Florida from one. Yeah. And, and they're just almost like laughing it off. Like, Hey, we're going to get somebody here, you know, fourth try after urban Meyer, we're going to get somebody in here who really knows what he's doing. Hey, good luck with that. You know, I guess urban Meyer final analysis at Florida was a pretty damn good coach, right? Uh, he sure was. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, who knows? He might want to go back down there you know, after what's going on in Jacksonville. Oh, Tim, don't start that now. <laughs> yeah, I'm just messing. He knows I'm messing. You know I'm messing. You know, without further ado, though, let's get to my guest this week, and then you and I'll come back and chop it up like uh, in the sous chef department like we always do. But, uh, man, it's great having this this next guy on. Man, he was on earlier this year talking about the problems that the Ohio State defense was having at that moment, how they could fix them. And now he's watched this defense come of age. Uh, I'm talking about Matt Wilhelm, a former high state linebacker, former NFL linebacker. And, uh, you know, I mean, Austin, this defense came with a play or two of pitching a shutout against uh, a team that brought in the number one running back in the country at least a week ago, Kenneth Walker III. This Ohio State defense uh, really has made huge strides in the last seven or eight weeks. I think you agree with that, right? 100%. And so let's get to Matt Wilhelm's take on that, but also – uh, as we start the, as we start my little segment with him, you know, he played in that 2001 game, the 2002 game, the game. He knows what it's all about, what it was all about to not be beating Michigan and then to turn around and beat Michigan, what it took, what Jim Trestle brought to the fore there, and what continues to this day in this program. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Matt Wilhelm. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, speaking of return visits, a return visit by Matt Wilhelm former linebacker for Ohio State, former NFL linebacker of, of, of some repute. Isn't that right, Matt? Yes, sir. Hey, welcome back to the Tim May Podcast, my man. It's great to be here. Uh, always uh, happy to to talk some ball with you. Yeah, I love this because we're doing – I mean, if people knew the truth in advertising, and if you don't want me to tell people where you are, I won't, but this is definitely a true – uh, remote as far as Matt Wilhelm is concerned. but It uh, absolutely is. We uh, we took the opportunity to to get out of Dodge and, and bring the family up to northern Maine to spend some time with my wife's dad and, and have Thanksgiving here with him. So, uh, but again, it's it's the week, right? Yeah. It's the yes. game. And so uh, uh, I'm, I'm happy to take 20, 25 minutes to uh, spend some time with you because it's uh, of utmost important to me too. All right, let's just get right to it. You were on the team that flipped the series. Who knew it was going to flip the series on its ear, but it put a lot of people out of agony in 2001. Yep. And uh, as you said, you got uh, predicted. You guys went up there and made people proud uh, of Ohio State football team again. Uh, what do you remember about that week, uh, just about that week, the buildup to that game, and what it felt like to, to take care of business up in the big house? Well, sure. I, I feel like – uh, the, the introduction of Jim Trestle uh, at St. John's Arena, making that statement. And then it was uh, both him and the staff's ability to emphasize the game and what it means to uh, play in that game. And, and I think what a lot of people don't know, and I'm sure it's, it's been discussed, but uh, Jim Trestle would have us as a team watch snippets of the prior year Michigan game. So you figure in 2001, we were watching the 2000 game that we lost um, at home and we would watch, you know, whether it be a series on offense, uh, you know, maybe, if, maybe to, one day it was just the punt, right. And, yeah. and look at the production and look at the return and look at how we flip the field and the little things like that. And, and, and again, as cliche as it sounds, and I know, I'm sure, you know, with as much as you've written in your life, it's a, uh, you know, it's a game of inches, but I think more so than ever in a game, every down 
every yard, every inch. And again, going back to the, uh, the, 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 the JT Barrett, you know, uh, fourth down play, right. Yeah. Uh, a matter of inches or an inch is the difference between winning and losing this game. And it was, uh, I think just a, a real emphasis by coach Trestle and this staff, uh, on the game to have us ready for that week. And I think, uh, you know, going into 2001, we were, we were learning a lot about ourselves as players. We were learning about a lot about our, 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 our coaches as it was a new staff. And so uh, the one thing that we did know was that this game meant more to uh, this staff and coach Trestle and now to us than it did the prior few years. Uh, again, n- nothing against any other coach because again, uh, you know, I committed to John Cooper, yep. you know, based around success that he had developing players and winning football games and competing for championships. So uh, it was just different. And I think that uh, the same way that, you know, Ryan day, this Michigan state game off, he probably walked off the field, you know, uh, hugged his wife, sang the alma mater, got out of the locker room and scrapped that victory as sweet as it was. And as much as it meant to keep our college football playoff hopes intact, it was Michigan week. Yeah. You know what? He already had his game face on. He even admitted he started thinking about Michigan in the fourth quarter. Why not? Right. <laughs> uh, right. I mean, he already had his game face on. Didn't heap a lot of praise on anybody, even though we all asked him some questions. You know, I mean, 56 to seven over the number 17, number number seven team in the country. And, you know, anybody else would be doing cartwheels. No, yeah. it wasn't over. And, uh, you know, you're, you're young enough to remember in 1996 when Ohio State uh, beat Indiana at Indiana. And after that game, it was with a dramatic, uh, aided by a dramatic uh, a defensive touchdown that game, by the way. And after the game, the Ohio State players would walk around with roses in their teeth, you know, people that handed them roses and stuff. But there was still a game to play called the game. Yeah, and you ended up getting beat, you know, 13 to, what was it, 13 to nine, still went to the Rose Bowl, still won the Rose Bowl, but there was still that like, wow that one cavity, you know, that never. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot to, a lot to be said about, uh, well, it's kind of like a program spotlight when you look at how both Ryan day, his coaches and players immediately, you know, flip the switch, not only to to Michigan, but I think it just goes to show that uh, the satisfaction and and you look around the country, uh, maybe I'd say, you know, this year, you know, Bama, Georgia, uh, of course, Ohio state is the aspirations aren't to, blow out another ranked opponent or, or to beat another ranked opponent. It's the opportunity. And I think it's, it's the tournament now it's winner go home. Yeah, yeah, and I think because yeah. of the flaw uh, early in the season against Oregon, which has now kind of been eradicated because they're no longer in the picture. Uh, it's if we keep winning, we're in and we can check, you know, and along the way, of course, you know, beating Michigan will be a, a big box to check, but you keep everything intact. It's, it's uh, staying undefeated in big 10 play beating Michigan go to the Big Ten championship game, win the Big Ten championship, and then, of course, project into the college football playoff. And then at that point, as we very well know, whether you're a one or a four, you're in the tournament and and you can check multiple boxes. And I think that uh, it's very satisfactory to to get this win. But I think also more than anything, it's uh, you sent a message across the country. And I think that the, uh, you know, the AP uh, probably took it, the coaches as well. And you saw the jump of what a game like that does. And I think even furthermore, now that we transition to the to Michigan game is, uh, and I'll, and I, I loved every second of Haskell Garrett's guarantee. Was I cringing mildly ahead of the game? Sure. Because that's a, a big ask, you know, to stop their Heisman trophy winner and, and limit what they did because of, of what Mel Tucker has done up there in Michigan state. But the way in which you did it, the way in which you delivered on that guarantee 
was uh, amazing as a, as a former Buckeye, but a lot for the fans. But I think he also another message sent to the country. And even furthermore is you look at the strong suits of what Michigan does, big, tough, gritty, running the football, playing great defense. Well, and I know that the past defense for Michigan State's not 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 the greatest in the world, but the physicality up front was what they were touted for, and we took them and crunched them. And I think it really uh, transitions very well to take the strengths of a Michigan football team that's played very well, and to be able to to mitigate what they do and, and navigate it, and just show what Ryan Day is a play caller and, uh, and, and the, the the strides that Stroud has made to now be, uh, if not the one of two Heisman. Uh, favorites has been uh, amazing to watch. It, yeah, I'm gonna get to that in a minute. I want to get to uh, I want to get to the Haskell Garrett and the defense thing in a minute. But I wanted to ask you this: uh, th- this is the game. Like I grew up, like I started covering Ohio State, knowing it. The winner, and if it advances, like you said, and wins the Big Ten championship, is in the college football playoff. It has as about as much as it has about as much on the line as any the game that's ever been played, you know, on the, in the modern day, in the modern day parameters of the winner wins the big 10 East and goes on to the big 10 championship game. Um, there's something to be said for that, isn't it? Oh, there absolutely is. And I think that uh, our ability to rise to the occasion at home on senior day. And I, and I know it because I was, a, I was, not, I wasn't I was a part of it against Michigan as my final home game. There's a lot of distractions centered around senior day. You know, and there's a, you know, navigating as coaches, uh, making sure some of those guys get in the game, that they're ready to play their best last football game in the horseshoe. Uh, for me, it was, you know, seeing my parents, you know, on the field, uh, embracing running out and walking off that field in my last game in the horseshoe. But that all fell by the wayside because of what was at stake. And it was the opportunity to play for a national championship. And I think that uh, you saw our Buckeyes go out and, put all that stuff to the wayside and take care of business. And, and essentially the way that they did is what is opening everybody's eyes. But even furthermore, it just sets the table for uh, that. This team is not who they were, you know, maybe uh, a few weeks before you and I first chatted. Yeah. There's, there's no question at quarterback, you know, there's no question around our ability to, to stop the run. Uh, there's no you know question around our offensive line to, and their ability to play their best and to have Travion Henderson or who's going to be the running back and and is Travion Henderson going to be able to you know are we going to be able to run the football? All those questions have been answered because of the last three to five weeks and and essentially against another great team this past weekend and I think more than anything it's it's the mindset the business mindset that we took into this game, our ability to go out and play our best when we needed to and I think uh, it just goes to show that you know what this program what these coaches and what these players are really all about and why, uh, you know, we all feel so confident going up to the state up north and, and being able to our business and continue on our journey towards something bigger. Yeah, your analysis of what was going on with the Ohio State defense way back when, when we first talked early in the season, when things were quite, you know, I don't know, in disarray, uh, changes were being made. The, uh, the uh, defense caller was changed to Matt Barnes from Kerry Combs, <clears throat> was right on the money. Uh, but you also basically said it wasn't a time to panic, et cetera. It was a time to like basically, you know, really uh, bear down, make a few changes. But also, you know, as you pointed out, and we all tried to point out to people, this was a young defense eight, eight games ago. I mean, as a, if you fought, watched my uh, when I watched when I asked Haskell Garrett after the game on Saturday, after the win over Michigan State, uh, 
the biggest difference in this defense compared to them is experience, which brings confidence, which brings guys playing much more as a as a glove, you know, a tight-knit group. And uh, what have you seen, though, Matt Wilhelm? I mean, you played this game at the highest level. Sure. What do you see well, that's think good about this defense? Well, I think that the uh, they're, they're, they now have an identity, and I think that was very much in question. Uh, yes. And I think we – about you know you asked me you know who are the young players that I that I and enjoyed watching through four or five football games and we mentioned those and I think for just say for the uh you know your your passionate Buckeye fans can probably rattle off you know eight or nine or ten of the eleven starters on defense you know but for the the common Buckeye fan who just wants to see the silver bullets flying around they're really we don't have the name recognition or we did not have the name recognition you know, and now it's, uh, you know, uh, Harrison and you got, you know, Eichenberg and you got Simon and you're, you know, and of course, Burke's still playing well. And you got, of course, Haskell Garrett. And you just, you start to rattle off, you know, the names because of we, we now see those guys making plays. Yeah. And I think they're slowly getting in, you know, seeing an identity. I, I love the, you know, of course, we're going to play man, man free. That's our, that's our MO because of our ability to, to recruit such high level talent on the back end. But I, I love to see the mix and match of, you know, we're seeing tackles for a loss. We're seeing sacks. You know, we're seeing uh, our young linebackers being much more confident to shoot a gap and, and make the play. Uh, but, again, the, the, the college game now and the college game that I played in are completely different, right? You know, yeah. we, saw, you know we saw, you know, 22 personnel, 12 personnel, 21 personnel, a hell of a lot more than we're seeing, you know, empty backfield sets yeah. and the spread off. So uh, guys are out on an island, and I think – because players are so we're so young and playing for the first time on the football te- team in these high pressure situations, because again, it's, you know, you lose and you're out. That's the feeling around college football. And we've played our way back in the situation, but guys through that experience. And I think, you know, crossing over, you're seeing it from uh, just the strides that were made by Stroud is, you know, you question Stroud early in the season, the same way you question the defense. And now 10 games later, nine games later, we're number two in the country. Uh, you look at the stats that pop up on the uh, the TV screen about where we were giving up what 425 to now giving up you know 300 315 yeah you know the points per game goes down 30 plus to you know just over 20 and so it's all those things just continue continue to move the needle towards an identity uh, towards being a complementary defense to how explosive and such a powered offense we have. Who does number 22 Steel Chambers, the guy that was a running back uh, this time of year? I love that kid. I love that kid. uh, Well, what what did you just see that just stands out? I mean, he he like nobody else on this defense. I mean, uh, loves to get a guy right in a gap and form tackle. I mean, mean, but what just stands out about him? What what has he added to the mix? Because when we were talking way back when, he wasn't really in the the picture like he is now. Go ahead. What I love about him is is, uh, his – he doesn't know what he doesn't know because he's not a linebacker, you know, and, I, and I'll go back to, uh, you know, now a buddy of mine who, you know, when Zach Bourne went from fullback to linebacker, he didn't know what he didn't know. He just, you know, see ball, go get ball. Yeah. And I think that, you know, an added element. Now, can you have four or five guys out there like that? that have never played a lot of defense. No, but you add a great athlete who's been a running back, who understands the tendencies of a running back, who understands, you know, gaps and fits. He just, he just, and also he just brings the athleticism of of a running back, you know, not necessarily a linebacker. And I think you see that playmaking ability. I think he adds with as much man as we play, you're putting a running back on a running back. You're not putting a linebacker on a running back. And I think his ability to get a guy to the ground, 
uh, is, you know, is uncanny for a guy who's made a transition and hasn't played a lot of football. So I think just the diversity that he brings to our defense uh, with, with a skill set is been amazing to see. And, you know, 22 ends up with the ball in his hands, ends up at the bottom of the pile, a heck of a lot more than anybody thought we'd see. Yeah. And the other guy, Ronnie Hickman, number 14, the, basically the bullet, you know, in the defense, but all, you know, in essence, lining up is a lot of times they're lining up now in, in two deep safeties and stuff, but then firing things out of that and stuff uh, leads the team in tackles. Uh, just he and Chambers, I said, it's, it's kind of like now you've seen develop two guided missiles almost, you know, on this defense that can, that can strike. And uh, on top of like the other guys making progress, but those are two guys playing it. I, I, hate, I hate to say it out loud, but almost an elite level, of the way they are sure about what they're of where they're going, you know, they may not always make a play, but they, you know, they bring a lot to bear once they get there and stuff. But how much is Hickman you think are really added to this defense? It's been great. And I think it, it also, it, uh, it adds those two players add to the identity. I think when you look, uh, you know, put yourself in the offensive shoes of a team that would play our defense, you didn't have to account for, any one guy like you have in the past, whether it's, Oh, we got to account for chase young. We got to account for the Bosa brothers. We got to account for, you know, these plethora of linebackers yeah. that are, you know, you know, see ball, go get ball, you know, run and hit guys. We didn't have that early in the season. And I think what Hickman and chambers have done is pre-snap. They've got to account for those guys. So they're going to, they're going to call their, they're going to run away from them. They have to be able to account for Hickman coming, you know, high to low, you know, on blitz running through, you know, inside the tackle, coming off the edge, you have to account for them. And there's, so there's a significant amount of prep that's done in identifying those, those game breakers. And I think that's what we didn't have. We had a bunch of guys who were just learning on the run, you know, playing football for the first time. And now the identity, the continuity, I think, you know, the, the change from, you know, Combs to Barnes and it's, you, you know what you're going to get each and every week. And then you, you blend in what the offense is going to do and try to stop, you know, some of their strengths and limit their strengths. I think we saw, uh, what, what a great opportunity it was this weekend. And, and we did that. Yeah. And I think it, like, and that's what, you know, my confidence is always high, you know, whether, you know, it's at home or, or going up to the state up North to play, you know, that team is uh, I'm going to go back to Haskell Garrett's guarantee. You know, you just don't do that against the highs and hopeful and things just go exactly the way that, you know, this one player, you know, nationally uh, because it was everywhere before the game yeah. uh, before, uh, before a game like that, of that magnitude. And then you go out and do it um, and deliver. I think that's also just goes to show look in the mindset of Ryan day and his staff, having these players ready for the moment. And they have to forget last week's moment and engage in this week's moment to go deliver again and again, which yeah, I think they've done that first defensive series, but especially had Craig young on the field for the first play. Hey, what are you doing? You know, number 15, Hey, you're attacking, you're, you're attacking their offensive front. Uh, this is not going to be the most memorable day for Kenneth Walker the third, unless you're talking about right. bad memories. That was right, absolutely. That, that was about. Hey, uh, last two things. Uh, uh, and I promise last two things. I'm famous, as you well know, you better as well as anybody <laughs> of asking six more. But I will yeah, limit to this because sure. you're enjoying your, uh, your well-earned time off. Uh, uh, as a fan now of Ohio State more than anything else, and actually former player who spilled blood in the game, sure. the game and other games, but is it fun to watch Ohio State play offense? I mean, how would you describe it, you know, to someone who doesn't know much about football? But, I mean, they're on a record pace in terms of total yards uh, for a game. Uh, they're scoring, you know, they're leading the, 
the nation in total offense and also in scoring. Uh, is it fun to watch this group? I mean, how would you describe it? Uh, it is fun. And I think what's fun for me, uh, because, you know, I watch NFL games on Sundays and, and the, watching the game as a backer, as a former player, I don't watch the game as a fan. Um, yeah. And the reason why uh, it, when I go to a game, I don't like sitting too close to the field. I like to be in the cl- like club level or even like low C deck. Right. So I can see the all 22 because it's the way in which I studied the game when I was a player. Yeah. And what I, and the reason why I say that is because you look at the concepts and you look at the way that Ryan Day and Stroud and these receivers attack a defense and attack tendencies and how guys are able to run by guys and be so open. And when the deep ball is not available, how they're content taking the eight yard hitch and mixing in the run. And then you get the crossing routes and then you just get flat out, you know, Wilson, uh, Smith and Jigba and Alave you know, breaking a tackle and then what they do with the football after the catch. Um, It's, it really is truly, you know, basketball on grass. And I I have to say this, you know, as a fan, because I don't actually always, what some people always, you know, might think is, Oh, he's a former player, former NFL guy. He just gets to sit down and watch the game all the way straight through. And I'm like, no, I've got a 13 year old. I've got 11 year old. I've got a two year old running around. Right. So, um, but with the one thing, so I think the offense to your point has become must see TV. And even as a former former defensive player and a silver bullet, um, I watch the offense and then go chase the baby while the defense is on the field. And then the defense does its job, gets the ball back to the offense, and we score again already. You know, so uh, the offense has become musty TV. Uh, I think that's you know just who's going to score the next touchdown, right? There's yeah. probably five you know, four names will rattle. You can throw in Ruckert, but you know, as great as a five star recruit as he is, as great as a tight end as he is, and I think that he'll transfer very well to the NFL. Um, there's not, there's only one football, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, it's become a CTV and I think it's, it's so great. And I think as a defensive player and, you know, going into this game as great as that Michigan defense is going, is going to be, and as ready as they will be, um, it's, it's just who you, who are you going to stop? What are you going to do? Cause all we heard all week was again, Michigan state's defense was bad. It's, um, don't let Travion Henderson get downhill, um, and keep the football. Don't let the guys beat you over the top. Yeah. And we scored three over the top touchdowns, yeah. you know? So when a team makes a point of emphasis to, to try to stop something that we do as great as a Michigan state team was, they still couldn't do it. They couldn't coach it well enough all week. They couldn't emphasize it well enough all week that their players could actually go out and execute, which just goes to show yeah. when Ryan day and his staff, you know, get into their meeting uh, with their guys and put together a game plan. They are, with skill and preparation and, you know, route combinations, just out executing the other team on a week in week out basis. And I would expect to see the same this Saturday. All right. Last question. I said that I'm going to stick with it. All right. What's thank your, you. What, what's your sense Saturday? You don't have to give me a score prediction, but does Ohio state, Ohio state has won 17 of the last 19 uh, in this series, going back to 2001 when you met Wilhelm and others uh, turned the tide uh, who knew that ship was going to turn as quickly and as uh, irrevocably as it has? That's probably not the right ter- nautical term, but I'll leave, leave it at that. It didn't All get right. stuck in the Suez Canal. We know that for a fact. Uh, yes. uh, uh, 17 of the last 19 didn't play last year because of COVID. Uh, but what's your sense of what's going to happen Saturday? Uh, my sense is going to be, uh, of course, it's going to be a Buckeye victory. I do believe that those that our, our offense will be t- just too much. 
uh, for this defense. And I think the, the one great thing with regardless of when Ohio state has played, I've had the ability to at least watch, you know, some of, or I, I want to watch Michigan to understand, you know, I think that the Hutchinson state kids great off the edge, the other defensive end 55 is a great player. Yeah. Can't say his name. I apologize for that, but they're, they're good at what they do. And I think also it's the, um, Buckeye fans have gotten so upset when Michigan would lose the game or two just prior to Ohio state to kind of diminish, uh, our win over them. And they've done everything they could, you know, minus, you know, one little dust up against Michigan state to set the table for this matchup. What two verse four, uh, yep. whatever it may be come Tuesday night, two verse five, three verse five, whatever it is, but everything's uh, on the line, you know? Yeah. Everything's on the line. So I think it's, we're going to overwhelm them offensively. I think, but this game will be closer than a lot of people think for probably three quarters. And then it's going to be a play or two by our offense. And I would say, you know, I'll always count on one big stop by our defense. Could be a turnover, uh, could be, you know, Carbaugh in plus territory wants to get a risky and go for it. We make stop and then a quick strike of our offense kind of puts the game out of reach. Uh, so I'm just, I'm very confident. I think coming off of this last week's game with, uh, and, and a lot of it has to do with, again, I keep going back to Haskell Garrett's guarantee because what Walker the third does and what they do in the ground game, I watched, you know, the comeback against Michigan and, and the winning that football game. Yeah. And for him to make that guarantee, there was something in his heart. You don't just say that to say that a great works that week work of, of practice, a great game plan uh, is what allows him and of extreme confidence allows him to go on that stage, you know, at the skull session and say what he said and then deliver it. Yeah. And I think uh, Michigan wants to run the football. They want to blood your nose. They want to play action. They want to throw the ball, put the football down the field, but it's running the football and controlling the game, which they've done very well, except when it, you know, in that comeback against Michigan state. And so if we can step up and have a great plan and our boys are in to execute defensively, I think that our offense will be too much and we come out victorious. At Wilhelm, uh, too bad you don't have an opinion on anything, man. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> What I, I bet a survey taker has their uh, boy. I bet they they go wow. Why did I call this guy anyway? I know. Hey I Matt, deny the survey because it's going to cost me thirty minutes. Yeah, exactly, Matt. Boy, I appreciate you, my man. You know my that. My pleasure, brother. And uh, have a nice Thanksgiving, man. You and your family, and uh, enjoy. You Thank you so enjoy much. Enjoy Northern Maine, man. That's one of the great places. Been there a few times, and uh, it's one of the great places God's on country. earth, isn't it? It is. It's God's country up here. And Sam, thank you, of course, always for having me. Go Bucks. Beat the team up north, and have a happy Thanksgiving. Boy, Austin, you know, I get, had Matt Wilhelm on to talk about the game and to talk about the defensive improvements. But when he got on the Ohio State offense, man, you could see him perk up even more. He called yeah. it, it's must-see TV anymore. Uh, wow, what, you know, what a statement. That's going to be in my story about it this week, too. But uh, I got to steal that one, right? But he's right about that, correct? Yeah, I mean, this is peak uh, Seinfeld, Friends era, NBC, Thursday nights. I mean, uh, and – and maybe better. I mean, if you took all of the greatest NBC sitcoms and put them on one night, then you'd be dealing with must-see TV in its original form or best form. I mean, LSU was really special two years ago. And everybody said, well, this is the greatest offense in college football history. Alabama, really special last year. No question about that. Uh, they were pretty well represented at that Heisman Trophy presentation for a reason. Yep. Uh, and we saw the, the display in South Florida. Great. great, Maybe greatest offense of all time again, they say. Well, Ohio State has watched that, and then they've taken it, I think, to an even higher level than those two. Um, it's – I've never – Ohio State has certainly never seen anything quite like this. Um, I would say that the Big Ten hasn't either, and I think that they are – look, they're going to have to finish the deal 
Saturday, uh, potentially a week from Saturday, and then after that, because those two teams that I mentioned won the national championship. But Ohio State is in, you know, in that conversation if they handle the business as uh, just a truly, truly unstoppable offense that, you know, that's, that's why I think they will win uh, four more games this season. But um, I know their only focus, uh, as we talk about it on this show, is the one on Saturday. Exactly. It better be because then you don't play four more. <laughs> I mean, you don't play you don't play three three more after that. Uh, you, you get to go to a, maybe a nice bowl game with some good parting well, gifts. Get one more. Like that's that's the that's the balance. Four or two. Like four or two. Exactly. If you're a senior, you're thinking. I mean, you're definitely thinking about that part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I know the fans are, et cetera. But you know what? Speaking of that, you know. The team that wants to spoil spoil the party, obviously, and the team that can do exactly what we just talked about, play three more games after the game on Saturday is Michigan. Surprisingly, in some people's minds, the way Jim Harbaugh has turned this thing around from last year's real embarrassment during the COVID uh, struggle, definitely Michigan didn't handle it anywhere near the way Ohio State did. But now here they sit, they're 10-1. and They've got a chance to uh, uh, beat Ohio State and move on to the Big Ten championship game for the first time, as you delineated earlier. Uh, you know, instead of going to Paris or or uh, South Africa or whatever, they might get to finally go to Indianapolis. Uh, but without further ado, let's let's go. To, what? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it is because it's indoors. It's beautiful December. But uh, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with John Bacon. As promised, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. That aroma is correct. You smell bacon frying. John Bacon joins the Tim May podcast again. John Bacon, welcome back. Tim May, always a pleasure despite your efforts. Just there kidding. you go. There you go, bro. Tim, Tim and I go back, what, 15, 20 years? More, maybe yeah, more. At least. I don't, know how many, I don't know how many times I bought you pizza. No, I'm just joking. Man. <laughs> you got some great times at those Big Ten meetings, et cetera, mainly shooting the you-know-what and uh, and having a beer or two and a slice or two and uh, – I've always enjoyed your company, man. I hope it's vice versa. Uh, and amazingly, it is on both sides. How about that? Tim May is one of my favorites in the business. Smart, funny, on point, tells the truth. Can't can't beat that. Yeah. By the way, you're very you're very handsome. There, Thank you there. very much. I finally told a lie. <laughs> uh, you know I'm messing with you, man. By the way, we're going to talk about your latest book, Let Them Lead, in, in a little while because I think it's extremely interesting. And you're one of those great authors out there that. I pretty much read everything you write because, you know, I find it uh, fascinating. Number one, the research you put into things and uh, uh, and and how you bring them to life. And there, there's a little plug already. But you know, Black Friday's coming, man, and uh, we gotta you gotta get those books sold when you can, right? I got Rex Kern coming on uh, later in the, later next month to talk about his new book. But uh, boy, you and Rex Kern, you know, Kern. Kern kind of look alike. What what's up with that? Uh, yeah, and one of us is an All American quarterback. <laughs> hey, by the way, so, I had him on one time, and he had a tin jersey up on behind, up behind him. I said, "Why have you got, why have you got Arch Leister's jersey hanging up on your wall?" <laughs> but I, hey, sure that was well received, right? But, yeah, exactly. But I digress. Hey, um, I might have said Troy Smith. You know, I, I, I get those uh, get those anecdotes mixed up. You know how it goes, man. You know, like uh, Woody who. Who said uh, three things can happen when you throw the ball and two of them are bad? But who said it first, Daryl Royal or Woody Hayes? I remember I asking Woody. But I remember I asked Daryl Royal about it one time, and he said, well, I'll, I'll tell you what. He goes, I never heard those words like that until they came out of my mouth. So, you know, <laughs> that's one way of putting it. Hey, John, let's get straight to the, 
the facts here, the reason you're on and the reason people uh, know you through my podcast, too, is you are quite the Michigan file when it comes to Michigan football. Well, Michigan sports in general, Michigan football in particular. And uh, have we, on the eve of a game that's finally, again, going to decide something serious, I mean, the winner goes to Indianapolis for the Big Ten championship game. The winner of the, what, is the 117th renewal of this incredible series, this rivalry. The winner goes to Indianapolis, and uh, it's kind of what it used to be all about, except it was the whole it was the whole conference way back when, if you remember correctly. But uh, is is Michigan football back? I mean, give give us a quick quick synopsis. Boy, a uh, simple question, not a simple answer. I would say, look, when you're ten and one compared to being uh, two and four last year, uh, Michigan was, and of course, 2019 was kind of a throwback by Michigan standards. So, I would say it is. Uh, now, the diehards will tell you, and I think the national media will tell you the same thing. It's not fully back until they actually beat Ohio State. They get, they've not won a Big Ten title since, what, 2004, I think? I mean, that's 17 years. It's the longest drought in program history, including the 10 years Michigan left the conference from 07 to uh, 19, uh, 1917, during which time Ohio State entered the contest. So that's how far you got to go back. That's, that's how bad it has been, been for Michigan. But you're not going to fire a guy at 10-1. and 1, I know that. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Jim Harbaugh took some cuts in, what, pay, et cetera, in that, uh, that contract that you were talking about on this program a year ago, you know, about they, they were renewing things. You, you had your finger on the pulse of that. And uh, um, I don't know. Ex- explain to people where he sits contractually uh, because sometimes it's hard to kind of keep up with uh, what were the what were the uh, I don't know prerequisites there? What were right. the stipulations? Uh, what were the requirements? Go ahead. Well, this time last year, Harbaugh had one more year left in his contract, his uh, second extension, basically, um, and that was you know eight nine million a year, good pile of money, most of it guaranteed, big buyout, all that stuff. And Ward Manuel, the AD, basically held the cards last year when you finished two and four and. Uh, the natives are getting restless, to say the least. So he reworked the contract quite severely, frankly. And I thought uh, a move towards sanity generally for college football, which is short-lived, as we know, based on recent offers and all that. But uh, more or less, in a nutshell, cut this the base salary in half, from about $8 million to about $4 million, added a bunch of incentives so we can get back to $8 million if you beat Ohio State, if they uh, win the Big Ten title, the division, and so on and so forth, and get to the playoffs. All that can be back and then some. Uh, also, greatly reduced the buyout. So it became basically an at-will contract. I mean, $4 million buyout sounds like a lot to you and me, but not to Ed Orgeron, obviously. So nope. um, so basically, it was a do-or-die contract. Basically, every year it's set up. Now, now that he's done pretty well this year, and depending on Saturday's outcome, uh, he's bound to rework that with Ward Manuel at some point to guarantee recruitment success. Yeah. Uh, you need that stability, as you well know, that promise of it. Um, but uh, that was a do-or-die year, and the gutsiest move Jim made, Harbaugh made, in the offseason, not talked about too often, he swapped out six of his ten assistant coaches. That is a big boy move right there. That is throwing all your chips in, and it has worked out, I would have to say, uh, amazingly well, not only in terms of results, but also in terms of rapport with the players. Uh, these younger coaches are much more connected than the previous coaches were to the players, and the enthusiasm level, the energy level is much higher. They played well in pretty much every game this year, including the loss to Michigan State, where they outgained them 550 to 390. Yeah. Uh, so you got to say that bet has worked now. 
All that still comes down, my friend, to a certain game on a Saturday. If he wins that game, every sin in the world, if there are sins, is absolved. The previous six years, the previous six losses to Ohio State, all that does not matter anymore. Um, if you lose that game badly, then all those ghosts come out of the closet. You've got the Michigan State loss, the Ohio State loss. I think the sweet spot for Jim is he's got to, the team has got to compete through the fourth quarter. It's got to be, you know, a one touchdown game, basically. If it's that, even if they lose, they'll still probably go to the Rose Bowl as the second team out of the Big Ten. Uh, Ohio State, of course, will be a playoff team at that point. Um, that will that will calm down a lot of people. 10% will still be unhappy, but that's always the case. Yeah. So what, what I've taken from all of that and grounded down, you know, like fine pepper, is this is the absolution bowl for Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> Do I have that right? I think that's exactly right. He's got a lot more to gain than to lose. I will say that this time around. That's crazy. Uh, that is crazy, though, how one so much can ride on one game, isn't it, uh, John? That's, that's been crazy for 100 years, Tim. I and think about this. I mean, back to Bo and Woody and you name it. What's great about college football is you get one whack at this thing. There's no redos. You don't play them again in the tournament or the playoffs or anything else. Um, this is it. And whoever loses that game has got to think about it for a year. It's already true of Michigan, Michigan State. It's true of Ohio State, Oregon, of course, but probably more painful for the Michigan State game. You don't get them again for a year. So the bragging rights at Ohio State have been pretty much the entire century, and it's no longer a young century. Yeah, 17-2 and two over the last 19 games. That's crazy. By the, way, by the way, who would have taken that bet? I wouldn't have. No, uh, I wouldn't have either, to be honest with you. <laughs> there's no way. No. Um, it, it's, it's been a stunning and, and nothing like it in the history of the rivalry. So this will always be the golden era for the rivalry for Ohio State. And you know what, though? It's funny because you, you and I got into a debate, a debate for a big time retailer last year about this time uh, when we thought there was going to be a game, but there wasn't because of the, the COVID situation ended up with the Michigan team. You know, but what a crazy year. But, you know. Even during those tough times in the John Cooper era, two ten and one, Ohio State went uh, over John Cooper's thirteen years. There were some great games in there, you know that that just happened to fall one way or the other, mainly the other, as far as Ohio State fans were concerned. Sure. And there have been some great games over the last nineteen, the la the the previous nineteen going into this game, this year's game, that have fallen one way or the other, just happened to fall Ohio State's way. It's not like it's, you know. It's not like it's still a, it's not still a pretty good rivalry based on those things, but it does finally come down to the W and L. And that's, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure that's not selling the thing short a little bit. I think that's a fair point. Um, I mean, look, John Cooper, poor guy, in my opinion, he he was not a good coach. He was a phenomenal coach, yeah. and his teams are top five almost every year uh, during that time of the of the season, of course. And most of those games were knockdown, drag out fights that, you know, as usual, play either way. And there you go. Including 97, when Michigan was the national champs, that game was a close game. Okay. And Ohio State almost ruined all their dreams. So uh, poor John Cooper on that one. But as far as the 17 and 2 goes, uh, I might even argue how about this crazy approach? Uh, it might be a testament to the health and the vigor of this rivalry that it can be 17-2 and two and still matter. Yeah. Name me another one. If Oklahoma, Oklahoma State was like this, Iowa, Iowa State, you wouldn't watch it. And this game still draws national attention every year, pretty much no matter what. Now, this year, of course, you got two, what, top six teams. Uh, so now it matters a hell of a lot. Yeah. Uh, this thing pretty much, I mean, I can recall seasons 2013, uh, a bad Michigan team, Brady Hoke's third year, uh, came down to the last play. Yep. And, it's, you know, it can still happen that way. So my guess is 
one of two things is going to happen this time around. Ohio State blows up Michigan, all out Michigan State. Maybe not that badly. <laughs> that was something, by the way. Oh, that yeah. was that was drawn and quartered. It was that was that was incredible. Or a dogfight. I don't see Michigan blowing out Ohio State, a la Tishmanga Biakabatuka, ninety-five. Yeah. Um, wow. I think it's gonna be a dogfight and probably a coin toss at the end, basically. But you know what? You just brought up a good point, though, that I keep making about this college football season. Just when you think you figured it out, man, weird stuff happens. Utah decimated uh, Oregon the other night. You know, um, right on down the line, there have been these like Texas A&M beats beats Alabama. Texas A&M hadn't beaten anybody of consequence since then. You know, I mean, they, and they lose. You know, to what was it? To Ole Miss, uh, and had already already lost to Mississippi State. The two Egg Bowl combatants. You know. Uh, A&M didn't beat either one of them. Um, but it's funny because, like you just said, Auburn, Alabama, It the only thing it matters about is whether Alabama continues its run to a possible another college football playoff berth. Because if Auburn was as upset Alabama, Alabama is still in the Southeastern Conference Championship game. And uh, this is the this is a game for all the marbles on Saturday in Ann Arbor. And uh, uh, it's it, even right now, it's kind of giving me chills just thinking about, you know, finally, it, you know, and it's meant something every year. Don't get me wrong. It's meant something like this several times in the last many years. But but with so much on the line for Ohio State and so much pride on the line for Michigan, plus if Michigan wins out, Michigan goes to the college football playoff. Don't you agree? I, you'd have to think so, oh, yeah. gee. To, Especially when, you know, the, the playoff committee is getting a lot of heat from the – perceived SEC bias. Now, part of that's because they have at least two great teams every year that I think are worthy of it. That's part of the deal. Yeah. But I mean, Ohio State won the Big Ten, or I had a great team and did not get to the uh, playoff a few years ago. And I thought that was an oversight, obviously. So my guess is whoever wins the Big Ten, unless it's, you know, three lost Wisconsin or whatever, is going to get a chance to Michigan, Ohio State, one of those two is going to get there. And they both have marquee value. You'll get eyes on TV sets. You'll pack the place. They all travel well. Uh, the difference is this. If Michigan goes to the Rose Bowl, everybody will be ecstatic in Ann Arbor. If Ohio State goes, how ticked off are they going to be? Yeah. I mean, the standards there are so high right now that that will not do it for Ryan Day. Yeah. I wanted to ask you this now as we head into this. Uh, um, you, you always – you're a great observer of the scene, so to speak. How phenomenal is it what Ohio State has done over the last basic decade? But, you know, in essence, they're they're going for a fifth straight Big Ten championship in the, what I call the playoff era, the, the championship game era. For a guy who observes it from a from, from above the uh, from above the whatever that line is, it divided Toledo from Michigan. Uh was that was that ninety four point five? Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. That little line, that Oh yeah, yeah. How how stunning is that? What Ohio State has done the last, the previous four years, and right now has a chance to do a fifth straight year. I think that you hit the nail on the head. That it's not fully appreciated because I think the last time it was done was what Michigan from Bo to Moeller, 88, 89, 91, 92. There's five in there. Yeah, 90. I think that's right. I think you're right. Um, yeah. well, keep in mind. You had, you had a lot more scholarships. I think you had more scholarships then. You had no uh, transfer rules. No, The parity that exists now in college football means it's extremely difficult to be on top for very long. For Ohio State to do that, and now the last five years, those are all Harbaugh. Harbaugh has had good teams. 2016, 2018, now 2021. Those are three teams uh, that have had as good a chance to beat Ohio State as anybody. If, they, if Ryan Day picks up from Urban Meyer, does the same thing, 
then hats off. Because those five Big Ten titles are as impressive as anything, in my opinion, that Fielding Yost would have done in the 1905, before the Buckeyes were part of the conference. It's extremely difficult. And it's not just Michigan. you got to play Penn State, and some years Michigan State is up. Penn State's almost always competitive. Half the time you get Wisconsin either regular season or in the uh, title game, of course. Yeah. Those are three big boy teams right there. you got to play every time out. This is not the big two and the, and the little eight. So for Ryan Dayton, what's also stunning to me, looking at it from Ann Arbor, is from Trestle to Urban Meyer to uh, Ryan Day, they have not missed a beat. And you're saying the last five years, hell, the last 21 years, since Jim Trestle got up there at the basketball game and said, you're going to be proud of us, what, in 310 days? Is the yeah. number right? Something like uh, that. Something like that in Ann Arbor. Yeah. That, that is the modern era. There's your line right there. And it's not stopped. Yeah. 2001 and onward. Uh, I think that would be the battle cry for Ohio State right now. Um, uh, yeah, if Ryan Day wins, if Ryan Day pulls this off, three of those five in a row will be his. You know, crazy. Right. Like you just said, the baton was passed. And if anything, this this relay team is running faster now than it was then. You know, I mean, <laughs> if, if that's an analogy you can use. No let up. Uh, what impresses you most about this Ohio State team? Obviously, you got to see the slaughter in the uh, – the slaughter in the shoe the other day. I mean, I expected Ohio State to win handily. Mm -hmm. Just like the previous week, I expected Ohio State to win handily over Purdue, but not like they did. I mean, 28-point win. Like a, a lot of people at Ohio State fans were griping because uh, Purdue scored 31. I go, you know, if it had been 38-10, to 10, that would have been a hell of a victory, and you'd been going, wow, what a dominating <laughs> win, you know. But 28 points is 28 points. But 56-7. to 7, over the number seven team in the college football playoff rankings, a team that beat Michigan, came from behind 16 points down, uh, and uh, handed the ball to Kenneth Walker the third, and boom, he brought them back and uh, for the most part. And the other day he had like 23 yards rushing, 24 yards rushing on something like six carries. They made him a non-factor. But I guess what, what has impressed you about this team? Obviously the offense, but what about the offense that impresses you? Well, one thing is you're selling them short, incredibly. That 56 to uh, 7, hell, forget that. 49 nothing at the half. They yeah. got the ball. They only scored touchdowns when they had the ball. That was the only time they scored touchdowns. Yeah, exactly. So, and they're averaging like five plays per drive. That's not a drive. That's just jamming it down your throat. Yeah. It was, it was truly impressive. It was drawn and quartered, a dismemberment. And that's, again, that's, that's a 9 and 1. It was a 9 and 1 Michigan State team. So what impressed me the most overall, first of all, CJ Stroud. Cade McNamara has played his hearts out, you know, hard out. He's done his best, I think. That is, in some ways, the first quarterback they've really developed under Harbaugh uh, at Michigan. Um, but, he's, but he's no C.J. Stroud. And that's the difference, I think, on Saturday. Um, that's going to be the margin. I, even at his best, he can't do what Stroud does. Uh, so that being the case, that impresses me, obviously. But what really impresses me, actually, is how that Buckeye team has grown during this season. From the stumbles early on at Oregon, they had a few, you know, shaky game at Nebraska. Man, by November, they're hitting on all cylinders. That is coaching. The team has been developed. They know exactly what they're doing. Michigan is, is going to hit them at their all-time peak. So, and Michigan's also peaking right now, so that's a good thing, too, yeah. for Michigan. But, uh, but not like Michigan, not like Ohio State is. So, what impressed me the most is this team has gotten better every month. Yeah. And, you know, and like I pointed out, the Kenneth Walker, the third stats, you know, this run, this run defense was uh, had big-time troubles against Minnesota until that great running back went out, you know, with the injury, the season-ending injury. 
And then, of course, against uh, Oregon, Oregon ran basically the same play three times around left end for a touchdown, ran a ball straight up the gut, started the second half, uh, long touchdown run. Uh, this, this defense has gotten so much better against the run, but so much better overall. Still gives up a play here and there. But that's been as big a transformation as anywhere in the country, the, the way that unit has, has, uh, has improved. I think you've even witnessed that, right? Oh, I've, yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, the old cliche is true. Back to Woody Hayes. You win titles with defense. The offense is impressive. It's the zero at the halftime. Michigan State was getting zero traction at that point. Walker, I've seen him enough this fall, Lord knows. That guy's the real deal. Absolutely. And he's still a candidate, I think, a, t- a shortlist candidate for the Heisman. I don't know if he's going to win it or not. Uh, but if he doesn't win it, you can thank the Buckeyes because the Buckeyes are the only team that really shut him down. And knowing that he's coming. So that team right now is playing great. Seems to have, from what I can tell, a very good rapport with Ryan Day. He's got his team where he wants them. Um, they're playing the best ball at the right time. And I guarantee you this, if they beat Michigan, uh, they're smoking Wisconsin. They're smoking whoever's on that side. Um, I, I see that as a speed bump on the way to bigger things. Wonder what badger smoked badger tastes like. Not good. Yeah, can't be good. It's got to be gamey, right? Right. <laughs> hey, uh, furry. Uh, you you touched on it. Though. I wanted to ask you about this real quick. Cade McNamara. You know, Harbaugh still insists on getting JJ McCarthy in those games and stuff, which cost him, I thought, against Michigan State. Big time, big time turnover, big time turnovers. What am I talking about? Uh, but he's going to probably keep doing that, right? Because you know. You know, the damn, you know, the damned with the rest of you people. This is my idea and stuff. But, but Cade McNamara, I agree, uh, has come along. What gives them their best shot offensively, or what do you see gives them their best shot offensively Saturday, John? I'm talking about the. the I do think that. Uh, I mean, you're right about the Michigan State game, of course. When JJ McCarthy comes in, fumbles a snap. I, of course, blasted about that on Twitter, only to find out that, in fact, J.J. McCarthy was in – or, sorry, Cade McNamara was in the uh, medical tent. Gotcha. So they had to put him out there. Gotcha. Uh, and apparently, apparently also the the fumble responsibility was Blake Corum's. Uh, it was not a mesh. Blake Corum was supposed to get the ball, and that came out later on that basically he blew it. Nonetheless – Let me interrupt. They, Let me interrupt, though. But that – but but that the, – the common denominator, though, was another quarterback came here at, crunch, at crunch time. Go ahead, now. Yeah, yeah and, and and maybe a mistake, you know, that Caden McNamara would not have made. Look, the guy's not lights out, but he does not throw interceptions. He does not fumble the ball. That's where yeah. his strength is. Um, but honestly, to beat Ohio State, I'm convinced that throughout the year, Michigan has thrown in J.J. McCarthy, not necessarily for Purdue or Nebraska or whatever. They threw him in there because I don't think they can beat Ohio State with McNamara alone. You can certainly beat Michigan with Jay's, anybody with C.J. Stroud alone. That guy's as good as they get, in my view. Uh, and there's a lot to back that up, of course. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think Kate alone, they have to keep the Buckeyes guessing. They have to make them watch more film, change the defensive packages, whatever else, because they're two very different quarterbacks. Um, I think they need that uh, wow factor just to have a shot because Cade's game at its best, I don't think, can beat the Buckeyes at their best. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, too, though. Well, you know, why, why pull that out of your back pocket in, a, in, in, the, in the 12th game of the year? Why not work on it some? Get the, make sure this man – has some playing uh, experience because you don't want him going in cold against a against an Ohio State team uh, in a, in the game that that can win it all for you, right? I mean that's actually um, that's actually pretty good coaching, right? <laughs> hey, there, there you go. Uh, as Devin Gardner said, no one knows how big that stage is until you're on it, and then it's too late. Yeah, and that yeah. is the Michigan Ohio State game right there. It's, 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 it's not an entry level position. Let's just yeah. say that. 
Yeah. Well, Dwayne Haskins Jr. found it to be, but that's another story. <laughs> that's, that's a story from the past. That, uh, I'll tell you what. A horror story for Michigan from the past. I'm sorry. When you win a national title with your third quarterback, you got my attention. Yeah, exactly. Heck, uh, and a buck, yeah, Cardale Jones, that was another one. But anyway, we digress. Last couple things. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson and that group, or, mm. you know, we all remember the revenge tour back in whenever that was with uh, Chase Winovich. Yeah, yeah, Chase Winovich. Uh, nobody's really said that out loud this year and stuff, uh, but. And it shouldn't. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Until you finished it right. That was the revenge tour. <laughs> uh, does does this defense have what it takes to a match up with Ohio State, you think, or to at least get some stuff done? I would say they've got enough pieces that they could. Uh, I also think that, I mean, look, what what Ohio State exploited, Michigan failed to against Michigan State. Yeah. They're dead last in passing defense. And that's before the game. I can't imagine they moved up afterwards. No. So when you're 130th out of 130, that is not good. Michigan should have been tearing those guys apart and failed to. You know, Cade overthrowing wide open receivers, things like that. Um, so I think Ohio State's defense is the better defense right now. But I think that Michigan with three players, Ojabo, uh, you mentioned, of course, Aiden Hutchinson and Dax Hill. Yeah. defensive back and they're starting to give him a lot more latitude he had a, a a blocked pass i mean coming in on the blitz basically uh from way back um those three guys have got to have killer games the linebacker core is frankly average so if they start getting to those guys you never know what's going to happen so if these three or four players can cover then then michigan's in the game and if ryan day does to Michigan, what they did to Michigan State, then he will find their weaknesses. They have them on defense. And the corners and the linebackers uh, can be picked. So we'll see if they can get to them. Hey, I got, I got to ask a couple of the quickies. Uh, of the three Ohio dude, State. Dude, I'm not charging you. Go right ahead. Okay. <laughs> of the three Ohio State receivers, you know, Chris Olave, Chris Olave just set the school career touchdown uh, receiving record uh, going past David Boston with 35 uh, uh, earlier in the year against uh, – Nebraska, Jackson Smith and Jigba set the single game uh, reception record for Ohio State with 15 against, uh, you know, breaking another David Boston record. Poor David. It's been a tough month for David Boston <laughs> in the record books. And then Garrett Wilson had four touchdowns uh, in the Purdue game, one rushing and three receiving in all kinds of manner. Uh, have, have you ever seen three receivers of that magnitude on the same team all playing, all getting – their shots all going to be probably thousand yard receivers. Ohio State already has a thousand yard running back, already has a three thousand yard passer. Uh, but all three of those guys are probably going to be thousand yard receivers when it's said and done. Uh, I keep telling everybody, man, uh, or love Ohio State, you know, take pictures of this team, man. You may never see something like this again, especially from an offensive standpoint. They're still going to have really good players, but it's it's crazy the talent they've got at wide receiver. Agreed. There's it's it's crazier than crazy. And I was shocked to find the stat they put up there during the uh, Ohio State, Mich Michigan State game that they've not had a thousand yard receiver in what since Chris Carter. I mean, yeah. crazy like that. Or maybe Boston. Yeah. Uh, there have been very it's been few. A while. Yeah. Now, granted, Woody Hayes is not exactly known for throwing you know, slinging the ball around. Uh, so fair enough, he didn't have to pass. But to have three like that is even in the modern era. Like I said, you're going back to Daryl Boston. Um, it's great. David Boston is crazy. Um, and that's the problem. You circle the problem Michigan has. The cornerbacks, Dax Hill is great defensive back. Cornerbacks are going to find out. 
but you got three guys going out there. You can't double all three. I know that. Yeah. So someone's going to be available. If Stroud picks up who's available, that's there's the you just circled the Achilles heel. That's the thing that can bring Michigan down. And there's going to be a slaughter. That's why. Uh, by the way, I just had flashback of watching David Boston and Charles Woodson go at each other down that left <laughs> sideline. Remember that '97 game? Oh my it was God. like it was like it was like two Rams in the mountain going at it, and then yeah. Marcus Ray from Columbus, of course, had a chance to flip yeah. Boston in the game. But yes, you know, for all the great photo pyrogenics, that was still a damn close game. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Stanley Jackson, couple passes he wishes he had back to this day. I guarantee it. That would have upset the uh, the last Michigan national championship train. But uh, unfortunately, as a uh, as they said in Austin Powers, that train has sailed. <laughs> um, hey, tell me about one other thing. I want to, then I want to promote your little book there, Let Them Lead. One of your, how many have you written now? About 400 books? Uh, ballpark. Yeah, I, ballpark. I lost track myself. Yeah, ballpark. 400 or, or 12, maybe, but there. Yeah, but pretty close to one of those numbers. Uh, one of those numbers. Uh, let's circle back to this one thing. Does, does Jim, has Jim, Har- has Jim Harbaugh always gotten it about the game, but has he had trouble? conveying it to the players or do you think like i think every year is another referendum but it what happened before isn't necessarily obviously Ohio State's 17 and 2 over the last 19 what happened those previous uh 20 years you know went to the wayside in that in the series uh, but what do you see that's different, I guess, about this team other than the young coaching staff and, you know, Michigan being 10 and one and ranked number six or probably probably ranked at least number five in the country by the college football playoff by the time this this comes out. But uh, uh, the new the new poll comes out. But uh, what do you see that tells you that they get it for one of another term? Because that was always the gripe about the John Cooper teams that he didn't he couldn't figure out a way to get the team to get it, which I, I didn't buy into in the least. But. You know, the record speaks for itself. Right. I think that a uh, few things. One, Harbaugh lived in Ann Arbor since third grade. I-, I guarantee you he got it. And third grade from him was 73, the midpoint of the Bo Woody Wars. Yeah. His dad's a coach on the team. They're down there during practice. I'm very confident Jim has got it in his bones what this game means. And, of course, he's the one who called the famous guarantee in 86. Which I is was not there, advised. man. I was 10 feet from him. Go there ahead. You go. Yeah. There you go. Not advised, is it? But no. uh no, he definitely gets it. Um, but I think he had the nail on the head about conveying it. It's not just you get it. And John Cooper's an outsider. I mean, he's coaching Arizona State before that. He, he was not raised in this tradition. Urban Meyer certainly was um, from Ashtabula, Ohio. So he certainly got it. Jim it's gets impressive. it. Yeah. But you got to communicate it. And in some ways, I think it parallels Jim was hot and heavy in 2015, 2016, uh, you know, on the sidelines, getting his penalty, of course, for throwing his clipboard and whatnot down in the horseshoe. And he went underground in 2017, 18, 19, 20. And now you see him bubbling back up. You see more passion on the sidelines, not quite as intense as he was in 2015 or 2016, but not nearly as dormant as he was the previous four years. So I think his emotions generally have come back. They've now, in, in the weight room, like Ohio State has always had, a countdown to the Ohio State game. They've re-emphasized it. And you might as well, because the world's going to emphasize it anyway. The damn thing's coming. You, you can't act like it's not important. You can't act like it's another game. It never was. It never will be. So I think it's a matter of communicating that and admitting it and his personality kind of coming back in the process. 
But you also hit upon another issue that does affect this team. And that is that if you're playing on the Red Sox in 2002, it's not your fault that they've not won the damn thing since 1918, but you're going to hear about it and you're going to feel it. And you're a Chicago Cub or you're a Boston Red Sox. Not your fault, but it is your burden. And that's what's happened to Michigan now. And I go back to Bo and the Rose Bowl, of course. He lost his first seven bowl games, including five Rose Bowls. They yep. finally won one. And after that, he was five and five the last decade. No one ever talks about that because they can't believe it. So he was actually just fine. They need to win one. And what's happened to this team is this game is not a monkey. It's a gorilla on their backs. It weighs way too heavily on them. Uh, in a normal year, 2013, maybe Devin Gardner makes that play. Maybe they call a better play. Um, that was the problem that time, I think. 2016, you're down to this, you're down to that. Yeah. Um, they they got to win one. And if they do win one, most Buckeye fans I've talked to admit this, it'd make the rivalry healthier. Chris Spielman has said that Michigan has not been upholding their end of the deal. It's supposed to be a tug of war. It's supposed to be a back and forth. Now, no Buckeye ever wants to lose this particular year's game. I understand that. Uh, but they understand that for the health of it, it needs to be more balanced. It needs to be more back and forth. So uh, they wouldn't like it, but it'd be good for the rivalry if Michigan won this Saturday. So, yeah, Buckeyes, come on, take the, take the high road. Think about the bigger picture. That's all we're asking. All I know is the last uh, the last twenty years, the value of gold pants has dwindled. You know, <laughs> uh, the, the market has flooded with gold. Yeah, pants. the market has been flooded with gold pants. <laughs> I was going to make some kind of real joke that would make Ohio State fans mad there, but I'm not going to, man, because I'm I got Thanksgiving in my heart. You know what I mean? I mean, this is Thanksgiving week and uh, the there game week and uh, whatever. Uh, By the way, trust- that's another problem. Yeah. That's another problem for Michigan, though. The game, of course, used to always be the Saturday before Thanksgiving, almost always. Yes. And in, in, in the money era, they moved it to that Saturday after Thanksgiving. Half of Michigan students, the highest of any state university, half of them come from out of state. Guess what? They go home. They go home to California and New York and Florida, and you name it. They're not going to be in town. So you're going to see a lot of red, a lot of red. As long as that's the setup, uh, they're going to sell their tickets on StubHub, yeah. and fans are going to snap them up. Yeah. So there'll be plenty of red in the stadium this Saturday. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, how things change for the for the good, you know, uh, for the good of the conference. Yeah, which is more yeah. money in my pocket to, that you can pay uh, you can pay uh, uh, coaches not to coach anymore. Things like that, you know. I mean, really well, really well used stuff. Hey, uh, the book behind you there. Let them lead. Give people a little idea, you know, especially if they're Christmas shopping on uh, Black Black Friday, uh, where they can find that. But uh, what's that all about, my man? Well, first of all, shockingly, I realize the color scheme is basically scarlet and gray. That's a mistake. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. How about that? There you go, Buckeye fans. Hey, as I always Let like to lead. say, Tiger, Tiger Woods always wears scarlet. He calls it red. He, he always wears scarlet uh, shirt on, on Sundays. Now, go ahead. Blood, blood red on, on, on Sundays, I believe, yeah. yes. So let them lead. Unexpected lessons in leadership from America's worst high school hockey team. Little known fact, Tim, I actually coached this team in 2004. Uh, the worst team in America, 0, 22, and 3. Ranked dead last out of 1,000 teams nationwide. Coached by the worst player in school history and over here in high school we're talking about. I still hold the record for the most games in a Huron uniform, 86, with the fewest goals, zero. And I played right wing. That's not good, Tim. So worst team in America, worst coach, worst player in school history. But in three years, we're the best team in school history and in the top 5% nationwide. So how do we do it? We let the players lead. We put them in charge, and it worked. So I got the advice from my mentor at Culver Academies, Al Clark, who gave me a great line. You've got to make it special to play for Huron, and the easiest way to make it special is to make it hard. And that's what the Buckeyes have been doing for way too long in Columbus. Yeah. I'm not going to let you, even though it was a great wrap-up there you just came up with, I'm not going to let you. I want to add one little thing there. 
what what's the coolest part of that book? Where, where, where was where was that moment? You know, give a little bit of it away here. What was that moment when you when you saw the change happen? It was a culture change. Um, it was it happened before our first game. Went around the track in Ann Arbor at Ann Arbor Huron, and it's one of these god awful summer days. Rain that morning, sun at night in the afternoon. Sorry, ninety three degrees. Yeah, steam was coming off the track. You couldn't see the goalposts at the end of the football field. It was that crazy. And uh, one of the freshmen grumbled a little bit, and my captain turns to him and says, "Hey, you play for Huron, and it's harder over here." And that's when you realize, yes, it's getting in. So that goes on our wall, and the team goes won seven games that year, then sixteen nine and two. Then 17-4-3, our third year, and ranked 53rd in the nation and fourth in the state. So that was a ton of fun turning those guys around. And Herb Brooks was a fan of ours, the Olympic coach. Yeah. Uh, Bo yeah. was a fan of ours. Red Berenson, the Michigan hockey coach, of course. So yeah. I had a lot of high-letter help there, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. And we're all still in touch. They come to my barbecue every summer. Their kids are older than my kid, Tim. So guess what? They give me parenting advice, and I have to take it. So. Yes. Yes, you do. John Bacon, you're fascinating, man. You've always been one of more, more, more fascinating friends, man. And uh, and I truly okay. I, I truly appreciate you, but I truly appreciate you joining my podcast because uh, you're always enthusiastic about stuff. And and uh, I, I've got to get that book. I hope to get a free copy in the mail uh, maybe in the next three days. That's what I'm looking for. You will get it to, sent up tomorrow, my friend. A gross oversight of yours oh. truly. I will try to read it without breaking the binding and then put it on eBay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Well, tell you what, for you, then uh, I'll just sign it without personalizing it so that yeah. we can sell it for, you know, two bucks more. Know. Hey, you know what that's called? That's called sharpening your skates. That's what I was. That's my <laughs> analogy. It's my figurative. Hey, uh, John, real quick before you go. What do you yes. think Saturday, man? What happens? Ohio State 35. Do you believe in something being due? Yes, but I don't think it matters because yeah. I think it works against you more than it works for you because no guy in that team knows what it's like to beat Ohio State. Um, and that's a problem. So um, it's not it's not passed down. I'm going, and I'll say it publicly in Ann Arbor, the same same score, 35-28, Ohio State over Michigan, uh, which is still, that'll get Michigan to the Rose Bowl, I'm sure of that. Um, and they'll get, they'll get Ohio State with another win into the CFP playoff, of course. So, um, But I got 35-28. I saw the games on Saturday. They both look damn good to me. But Ohio State, holy smokes, all yeah. cylinders. Yeah, I've, I've covered this, been around this team for a long time, covered it since 1984, and uh, I've never seen an offense close to this in terms of options, in terms of buttons that C.J. Stroud can push. And the thing about it is I equated him taking over the job as to sliding into this really great race car. He had to learn how to drive it, you know? What does this do? What does this do? He has figured that out, and uh, it's crazy. I mean, we've talked about the passing game, but the running game, with Travion Henderson and uh, Mayan Williams is just as lethal in a lot of respects. And they've got that huge offensive line. It's, you know, you just, it's just hard to see Michigan getting it done this year, but definitely Michigan's much better off than it was this time a year ago. You got to agree with that. The only, oh yeah. And look, they're playing real ball and I don't see, I don't see them folding tents. I don't see them collapsing on like previous years. I think it's gonna be a battle, but look, the only counter I've got to what you just said, everything you said is true. This Ohio State team, look, maybe Georgia's better than they are, but that's all I'm seeing out there. It's, I, I mean, the game I want to see is probably Ohio State-Georgia, yeah. so, and I'm probably not alone in that one. Yeah. However, the only counter argument I've got is a bizarre bit of history. 95, 
Who'd you have? Terry Glenn and Orlando Pace and Eddie George. And the list goes on and on. You had like five first rounders Ricky on Medley. offense. Yeah. Half your offense was a first round draft pick, which probably not happened since. Uh, and they lost. Yeah, so, Mike Vrabel, Matt Finkus. Yeah. Insane. Insane. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so that's the only real counter argument is history in this game is bizarre. Shimonga Biakabatuka. I remember it well. You got now, it. I, I got a lot of grief from my from my coworkers at the dispatch because as we're driving into the game, as we go by the stadium, when we used to get to park next to the stadium way right. back when, you know, I said, man, I got a funny feeling about today. You know, and Ohio State was pretty pretty heavily favored in that game, if I remember correctly. And uh, Oh, yeah. At Michigan. That little counter – that little counter handoff to Shimonga Biakabatuka, they never figured it out. Never made the adjustment. It so was crazy. So you're in your bones, you're feeling a vibration before you got out of the car. You're oh, yeah, that? I know. I, I get that sometimes just because, you know, you kind of you cover, you get things, and all of a sudden you kind of go, wait a minute, something, something adding up here. You know, the, you know, you know what I mean? You know, it's football, man. Things like that can happen, right? I'll see you on Saturday morning. Let me know how you're feeling. You got it, John. I'm, I will bet accordingly. I'm hoping to cook some bacon and eggs, man. That's what I'm hoping for. Ladies and gentlemen, John Bacon. Thanks for doing the Tim May podcast again, my man. My, my good buddy, Tim May. Always a pleasure, pal. Always a Happy, pleasure. Happy Thanksgiving. Likewise, you too. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Boy, really appreciate my good friend, John Bacon, man. I always love it when bacon, the smell of bacon's in the air because it means you're <laughs> going to get some good good opinions about things, including his latest book. Uh, but I digress. Uh, Austin, you know, I, I tweeted to you on on uh, Saturday night. I'm sitting there watching some games. I'd had a little bit of uh, bourbon cream. And I tweeted to you, nobody, I said, you know, if they took Ohio State out of the Big Ten this year, it would be a very nice-looking conference. It'd be, wow, competitive as hell from top to bottom, teams one through 13. Uh, Michigan would probably be on top of that right now, although the way Wisconsin's playing, look out. Uh, but uh, I think even the way – as uh, John Bacon described, you know, watching that Ohio State game against Michigan State, 56-7, to a team that Michigan had led by 16 uh, late in that game and watched Michigan State come back and, and win that game. You just juxtapose those two games and you go, wow, those were two really good teams going at each other. But this team just beat one of those two teams 56-7. to You got to be sitting there going, oh, my goodness, what are you walking into on Saturday, right? Yeah, I think your language was a little bit stronger on Saturday, but uh, uh, your point, like, I hadn't really, you know, thought about it that way because it's such a, uh, I mean, it's obviously a hypothetical, but um, you know, the Michigan-Michigan State game would be viewed as an all-time classic. Like, 
settled the East and uh, went back and forth in a crazy comeback. And instead it's just like, well, I mean, yeah, it was a game that happened a month ago and doesn't have that great of a bearing on anything because neither one was going to beat Ohio state. Right. I mean, obviously Saturday can happen, but we're saying yeah. Ohio state's not in this. And, and as opposed to, well, now you get to see, you know, these two really great, the top two rush offenses in the country or in the big 10, Wisconsin and Michigan playing in Indianapolis. Uh, and instead of that, you just have, Oh, well, Ohio state's going to beat Wisconsin again. Like every other year it's on a schedule. Yeah. But it's Wisconsin's turn. Like, <laughs> Ohio State has just changed everything. It's the, it's a little bit of the, I don't know, affliction that has set in when you're evaluating Ohio State now, which you can't do it to the rest of the Big Ten. And you're always saying, well, well what does this mean if they play against Alabama this week? Or what would have happened if they played Georgia this week? And it's always looking at those other teams. Like the same thing that is true for that, that we have said a couple times, and you did on Saturday. Uh, in rapid reaction that you, you're probably missing something that's really special. If your eyes are focused on something that is a hypothetical, like yeah, the same sort of thing where Ohio state's attention outside of the Woody, that it, it goes to the sec creates a problem for the rest of the big 10, where you might have like Michigan state had a pretty special season. It was a massive comeback, you know, a turnaround by Mel Tucker. Uh, nobody really saw it coming. They were projected in the bottom of the big 10 East and you know, they're, they're in position to still go to a much better bowl game. Any bowl game would have been a victory for them. They're going to go to a nice one. Like, well, that, that feels pretty good, except, well, you get you got measured against Ohio State and you got beat by 49 points. Like, that impacts everybody else. So Ohio State has just so dramatically changed the conversation within the league, within the national conversation. Obviously, the playoff plays a part in that as well, but it, you know, yeah. It really, it really just changes everything about the way you're evaluating it. Because like Penn State, James Franklin's thinking he's probably reached his ceiling at Penn State. They may stupidly give him another contract extension one year after giving him one. Like, what? How's he going to do it? Like he's he beat Ohio State one time and got a Big Ten title. It's like doesn't think he can ever do it again. It seems like without a ton of other help and support and things going his way, like that changes the way he views his own career. Like yeah. it's. It's that's that part is crazy. As you said, that this golden era of Ohio State football, the impact it has on everybody else in this league. Yeah, it is crazy. Hey, let's get on with it here. Uh, All right, let's do it. No, I mean, no, I just I liked everything you said right there, as usual. Uh, Per is it as usual or per usual? But same thing. Uh, Just what you just said a while ago about this offense, though. I'm just yeah. thinking back. I, I just had like 10 plays while you were talking, 10 plays from Saturday just roll through my brain, you know, about if A, then B, if C, then D, you know. And yeah. uh, and I just think about the remarkable progress that we've seen C.J. Stroud make over not just from game one to game 11, but from game five to game 11. And – you know, it's it's so cool because this is exactly what we were talking about after the Minnesota game. Uh, you and I, the people who were – I'm not patting myself on the back because, you know, anything can happen on Saturdays. You just said you always have to throw that rejoinder in there. But, right. ladies and gentlemen, way back, you know, 11 weeks ago, give the young man time. He already – he threw for 484 yards against Oregon, you know, clearly. They, but he could have played better in the – in crunch time – uh, in that game as the offense could have, without a doubt, you know. But my point is, what you're seeing now compared to then and how well they actually still played offensively, but 
now there's almost this feeling of unstoppability. Is that a correct term? Yeah, of I love it. Of unstoppable. I guess you I guess if you're unstoppable, you you have unstoppability going for you. So yeah, I'm correct on that. But this this sense of unstoppability for this offense was on full display the last two weeks. Uh Purdue had the number 16 team in the country in red zone defense and in scoring defense. Uh, Michigan State had the worst pass defense in the country, but there were a lot of reasons for that, we were told. Well, one of the reasons is they're not very good, you know, on pass defense. (laughs) But like we talked about, why why run through a brick wall when you can throw over and around the brick wall? And it is a wall in the middle of a big old open area, you know? So, uh, you know, kind of around me of Norman Schwarzkopf, you know, and uh, way back when against uh, the the defenses of that the rocket thrown up in Kuwait there. I mean, I just made one word analogy. Well, I go through it when you go around and over it. And, uh, but, but Austin, I've never seen an Ohio state offense this prolific uh, and this potent, and I've said that for a long time now, but with the quarterback now running it, like I said, he had to get used to where all the buttons were in this ridiculous sports car he got put in the seat of. Kind of reminds me of a Formula One driver, a rookie, by the end of the year, unless he stinks, he's going to be out there at the top, at the front of the pack if he's got the best car to drive, right? And that's yeah. exactly what we're seeing with C.J. Stroud, a very talented driver driving this ridiculous uh, uh, sports car. Yeah, I like that unstoppability word that you've coined there. Uh, I've I've sort of taken to just calling the Ohio State offense inevitable. I mean, uh, there have been teams that have had success, and we saw uh, them struggle uh, against Penn State and Nebraska and go in their rut. Um, but a lot of that, as I said, um, when it happened was because of mistakes, because of self-inflicted wounds and penalties that Ohio State was, you know, causing them themselves, like, I, I just think of them, you know, like like Thanos when he's got this infinity gauntlet and all the stones. Like, how, he has all the power. Like, he has to decide not to use it for, for somebody to survive. And maybe that's too much hyperbole. But, I mean, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Chris Olave, Travion Henderson, uh, Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, Thera Munford, Luke Whipler, Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, who actually – calls himself or gets called big Thanos. I mean, Jeremy at his best. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't know how you could collect more talent than that. Yeah. And it allows Ohio state to move the football any way that it wants to. And yes, they have not played perfect in every game. No one ever does. And it's a long season. And a lot of, as you said, with CJ Stroud, he's doing this for the first time and he's 18, 19 years old. Well, anybody at that age going to maybe get get a few hiccups along the way, um, whether they're a football player or just a, a college journalist or whatever. Like, you're not going to be that consistent at that age. Um, but as you said, once you got to week, week five and six, this is a conversation that you and I also had about Dwayne Haskins, uh, about Justin Fields, uh, to some extent about JT Barrett. But I remember it more specifically with Dwayne because the change for him was – you know, okay, he knew the offense. He'd been in it longer, uh, you know, been been around Ohio State. But you still have to go out there and execute it. It's not the same as sitting in a meeting or going in a huddle or being on the field and, and getting all the signals. Like, he needed time to find his voice. But then once it got to that point where he he clearly felt like he was in command, then those numbers go crazy. 
Yeah. And CJ Stroud needed the same opportunity and he got it. You know, Ryan Day, this is another part. Everybody deserves credit for the turnaround and, and just focusing it purely on the quarterback situation. If Ryan Day wasn't so, uh, you know, strong willed and, and believing in his convictions of CJ Stroud and, if he was worried about his job security and listening to, oh boy, well, let's just see McCord, like got to go to the backup. Like he said, no, he got a week off to rest the shoulder. If that's the problem, let's address it. You're the guy, you're going to move forward with you. Um, you know, that wasn't a benching. I think some, in some people's mind was brought up on Saturday that they benched him and that fixed it. No, that wasn't it. Um, they stood by him throughout all of that because it was his belief that once he got through that, you know, growing pain transition period that this was possible. And you now CJ had to do the work, you know, but also Ryan Day had to support him. Corey Dennis had to coach him. Um, you know, the rest of the offense had to still believe in him and not say, oh, we'd like to see that other guy too. Like none of that happened. Yeah. And so that's how all of this has flourished with him. But again, still CJ Stroud, the improvements that he made in his own game as he got more comfortable and confident, practice better as you wrote about last week. I mean – it's it's remarkable for somebody as a redshirt freshman. Yeah, and as you well know, I'm just throwing this in there. The fact that Ryan Day never abandons the running game, you know, he understands what power football means to a giddy up spread offense. He understands the the uh, the the conundrum that it poses. For example, Michigan coming up this week. You and I are both sitting there in the press box on Saturday, and. Yeah, you see CJ making this throw and that throw and that throw. But you know what? You see on the backside, oh my goodness, Chris Olavi just broke wide open. They didn't even look that way. Right. But the point is, there's more to this offense than you've seen. <laughs> you understand? I mean, it's <laughs> it's almost like a, a, a shell game where you you put the little P in under the three shells and you're moving them around. And and wow, now just when you figured out where no, it's not under that shell anymore, it's gone this direction. That's what's amazing about this offense. I keep telling people is it's not like in the old days where you had like five running plays. I'm talking about the I formation or eight running plays and maybe 10, 10 pass plays. They have nuances to everything they've run already this year that they can go to the, the tight end screen coming off the goal line the other day to Jeremy record. When you so aptly put it, they've now gone to the record package and now they're going to get him a touchdown, you know, for senior day didn't happen, but the hit, but he was the main factor. Right. He was a main factor in them getting down the field on that one possession. You're, that was that was great observation, but they haven't even gone as far as they can in the tight end game. You, you know, you know that you've, you've watched football at least as half as long as I have. But after a while, it all becomes mush. No offense. But isn't that right? I mean, yeah, you'll see options and possibilities they haven't even gone to yet. And that's what I find pretty interesting about how Michigan could try and come up with a way to stop Ohio State because you know there's only one way there's only one way it's that front that front line has to have the game of their life I'm talking about Michigan because they got to figure out a way to disrupt it but go ahead and they've got two guys who are yes are capable of that against most competition and I would we'll see exactly what happens when they're on the same field together but Ohio State is also uniquely equipped to handle that because of the offensive linemen that, that we mentioned that are on that field and you know, the solutions that Ryan day has concocted in the past. Like these aren't the first really good pass rushers that Michigan has had. 
and the issues have come behind them. And how are you going to, if you blitz CJ Stroud or you blitz Justin Fields or you blitz Dwayne Haskins, well, what does that leave you susceptible to? And Ryan Day has called his best, best games of his career against these Michigan defenses. And I know that the coordinators have changed and the scheme has changed. The personnel is obviously going to be a little bit different, but you know, as much as anybody, as much as Mickey Marotti is spending the offseason on, on the Michigan or team up north periods and you know all the emphasis they put in for 365 days. Well, Ryan Day does the same. Yeah. You know, he is always that he's so cool and calm and collected in those situations that you see him publicly. And we have brought this up before, but he understands the importance of having the best game in the game. And he is has been as sharp as anybody in making sure that he's got a plan to attack Michigan when it counts. And I think that's part of the reason that it stung him and, and everybody else so bad that they knew what they could do to the last year. So now he's got two years of that cooked up. Of, you know that he watches a little bit extra. You know that he has seen everything that they've done, everything that you know, this defensive staff has done in their careers, where they could be susceptible. You saw a little bit of, I think, a little bit of a glimpse of how they might handle Hutchinson with the way that they dealt with George Karloftis two weeks ago. Um, sometimes you just force them to make a decision and don't block them at all. That was genius. And that, and that worked out great. You talked about it uh, last week. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, I, I think, a, a, a long-winded way of saying that he can do whatever he wants with this personnel. And I, I think it's unlikely – that they would go in without a very good plan for how to attack those two guys. Cause it's not just Hutchinson, but you know, they can be disruptive, but if that's the only chance Michigan has Ohio state's going to, I feel strongly have a solution for that, which can be as easy for them as what other teams do to Ohio state. When the ball comes out fast to keep up Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison at bay, if you're just going to flip it out to Garrett Wilson. All right. Well, Aiden Hutchinson, you're not really going to be a factor in this game. Like, right. they've got ways to do that, I think. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, real quick, do you, do you, do you think uh, Nicholas Petit-Frere and Dewan Jones, you know how we talked about they had the two best tackles in the country returning, Thayer yeah. Munford, Nicholas Petit-Frere? Uh, but now, do you think Nicholas Petit-Frere and Dewan Jones, could you make an argument they're at least the two best tackle, they're the best tackle tandem in the Big Ten and possibly in the country? I mean, yeah. do you think that's – I mean, is that going – is that being too hyperbolic? What do you think? In my opinion – This is what it's going to come down to on Saturday. These two guys having a great game too, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, based on what they've done, they deserve to be in that conversation. And, you know, you and I watch as much college football as we can, but we don't see everyone every single week. I just know that those two guys are special. Pro Football Focus had them rated as the number one tandem in the country. Um, that that group is not perfect in their evaluation either, but they've – They've watched way more of that tape than I have. Yeah. And I would say, you know, even if it's just confirmation bias, like that matches what I see. They're very, very good. And this is the most explosive offense in the country. Yeah. And you can't have that without a great offensive line. Uh, I think the reason that they don't come up in, a, in the conversation a lot individually for awards is that everyone was talking about Thayer Munford in the offseason. He was the name that people knew. Uh, we've talked again about the process. We've been doing this a long time and can <laughs> – and can show how the award sausage is sometimes made. It's a lot easier in the Heisman to emerge from nowhere to go on and win it because, you know, a quarterback or running back are going to have these stats that 
that you can't argue with. And you see the teams that are really good and the best players on them. It's just tougher on, on these other positions where you, the st- statistics not, might not match up or you can't call attention to yourself and they're part of one, one cog out of five wheels up front. And, you know, that's unfortunate for Nicholas petit Frere and Dewan Jones and, you know, Paris Johnson and Luke Whipler. Oh, yeah. Like, there Munford's played very well, but the fact that he's not at tackle means that people have stopped talking about him too. Yeah. Uh, and that's just the way it goes. But I agree with you. I, I, uh, or I, I think I'm agreeing with you. I think that those two can win individual matchups against any pass rushers. And they have to because they practice against Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison and Javante John Baptiste and Jack Sawyer and JT Tuemolo all week long. Like you yeah. got no choice. That's, that's what they work against. And, I, I just like the joy that both of those guys are playing with. You watch them down the field. I mean, uh, and of course, Nicholas T. Freer isn't quite as overt about it as uh, Dewan <laughs> Jones. I remember there was a, there was a touchdown Saturday, and uh, it was a play action pass play. And uh, as everybody ran to the uh, ran to the end zone, we're celebrating. You know, Dewan had taken and danced with his guy on the pass rush, and then he's in the background doing this little bow, you know, just basically to himself, you know, about. <laughs> It, it takes 11, you know, to make a touchdown, but uh, just the, and then you watch that video of, uh, I think it was uh, Lloyd McFarquhar, uh, did I have that name correct? Uh, yeah. uh, leading the band the other day and nobody is more, is having more fun watching him lead the band at that practice where it's become, it, it is a tradition for the band to show up and serenade the Ohio State football team. And it's basically his first practice. Uh, of Michigan week. And they did it way back in Archie's time. Cause I texted Archie just to make sure about that. But uh, uh, no one is yeah. other than McFarquhar. No one's having more fun than Dewan Jones because he knows, man, this is, he's part of something special and he's enjoying it. That That's what's really cool. Isn't it? Yeah. And, and he's not alone. I, I, I took note of that on Saturday as well. Like uh, it was a little more obvious when Thera Munford was spinning around in a three sixty and, signaling first down off of the offsides. Like when, when yes. teams are like, and I know that there can be a point where you, you say, is this cocky confidence? you take it too far? Like I, you know, that's to me, I don't have any problem with people celebrating big plays, celebrating touchdowns. I never have. I've never, you know, even, even taunting. I don't care about that, but yes. that, that's just me. But like me that shows, they, the offensive line, Got, got a hard count, drew an offsides, and moved the chains. And they celebrated that. Like, yeah. I, I compare that September, <laughs> like what you're saying with Dewan or I'm saying about there. Like, I don't believe that this team would have done that in September. They were tight. They were worried about living up to expectations. They weren't playing that well. They were doing it for the first time. They were new. They probably didn't know what you could and couldn't do on the field. Yeah. Uh, what I mean, all of it. They weren't having and, – and what we're talking about is not quantifiable, but we've seen it and we know how to compare it to years past and even within this year. Yeah. The approach of this team and the mentality of this team and the confidence of this team and the joy of this team has come incredibly far. Now, playing well is part of that. You don't get to have fun if you're not winning games. I, that part is understandable to me, but it can, where it can sometimes be a chicken or egg situation is it's if you don't enjoy the work, then you won't win either. So I think this team, and it goes back to what you said also about Stroud and his preparation and what you wrote about last week. Like, If he doesn't like 
putting in the work to be that good, well, then you don't win the Heisman. You don't stay as the starting quarterback at Ohio State. You don't become a, a first-round draft pick down the road. Like, if, you, if that part is just a job to you, then you're never going to be great at it. Yeah. And you I think that's changed yeah. for this team. I agree. You know what's funny is uh, just in interviews, he comes off uh, as the most serious guy on the team right now. I mean, you know what I mean? Which is kind of what you want, you know? Uh, yeah. You want guys having a good time, but letting it all hang out, you know? And uh, But he comes – I mean, he, he clearly has things in mind. And, you know, without a doubt, he has to know – He's the odds-on favorite or one of the top two favorites uh, for the Heisman Trophy right now. But he knows it doesn't happen if he doesn't finish strong. And yeah. But on top of it, he's got this team, uh, this offense going exactly the way he wants it to go. You're seeing him play ball out there. You're seeing him play his game. And we've seen this evolution of him, like we talked about earlier, over this season. And it it's a it's something to behold. And like I've like – I've, been saying all along, man, people need to take pictures, at least mental pictures right now of this offense and the way this quarterback is running it because it isn't like this every year. It isn't yeah. like this every year at, uh, you know, uh, at, with Lane Kiffin and his offense and stuff. A lot of pieces have to come together, Mike Leach, et cetera. A lot of pieces have to come together along with a great scheme. Uh, and and you're seeing it right before your eyes at Ohio State. And it's it really people should enjoy it, right? Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a great reminder. I completely agree with you because we know that there are more very talented wide receivers on the way and that Brian Hartline is not slowing down. You saw Julian Fleming playing and scoring a touchdown yeah. uh, in a top 10 game on Saturday, Marvin Harrison, uh, Emeka Ibuka, uh, once he's, you know, healthy and back in that lineup. Yeah, and Jackson's going to be back next year. Go ahead. Yeah, and then, you know, obviously the headliner there would be Jackson, but like, so that's great. Like they have really good units moving forward you can count on that the, the the position coach probably not going anywhere the standard has been set the same way that it was passed down from Terry McClure and KJ Hill and Austin Mack and these other guys like that's cool but they're all different and there's never going to be another one with the all-time career leader in, in Ohio State touchdown catches and Chris Olave somebody with first round just dynamic athleticism that can do something every single week that you've never seen before in Garrett Wilson Obviously, Jackson is part of this now, but it'll be different for him next year. Like, yeah. the roles will change. The, the amount of targets are going to change. The way Ohio State's passing game will look different because those guys are not the same. Like, and, and to, to that mental picture that you're talking about, like, how, how special it was for Olave to get that touchdown number 35 and the ball and the tape around it and the look on his face, you got to remember that because there's going to be other good Ohio State offenses. And maybe we'll talk about them and say, is this one better than 2021? And maybe they will be. But some of the journeys along the way, especially for a guy like Olave, I mean, you don't want to – It's that moment's about to be gone. Yeah. And, and it's worth remembering it now. Yeah, it was funny. That football, I kept thinking as he was holding it the other day when he walked into the interview room. And uh, But I was thinking about the fact that when Hank Aaron hit his 715th home run, everybody went crazy, you know. Well, he, he wound up with 755, you know, talk about taking the stake and putting it much farther out into the pond. I know, you know, the other guy broke that record, you know, but uh, but obviously there's been a lot of question marks about that whole situation. But you mm -hmm. see where I'm going here. Chris Olave has at least two games left and probably four, you know, and uh, and it's really hard right now to be sitting here 
it's hard for anybody to be reset. Even the national pundits now, they're they're all sitting here going, boy, can't wait to see Ohio State play Georgia. That's the dream matchup, you know. But oh my goodness, there's so much football between now and what that could be. It's right. crazy, right? And but you can't help you can't help yourself if you're a football fan. <laughs> and that's the way it goes. Uh, we're, we're looking so much forward to what I assume on Tuesday night will be the release of, all right, well, these are number one and number two now. Um, that's, we can, we don't even need to have that conversation on this podcast this right. week, but like, Oh my goodness. Well, it's Georgia's defense and Ohio state's offense. Well, I mean, look, Alabama's probably still going to be in the top four and Georgia and Alabama are going to play each other in the sec championship game. I think we'd all as college football fans really like to see that one first. Uh, this is, and this is the game and they're going to be in the both top six, top five, top four. They could both be in the top four on Tuesday night. Yes. No, it doesn't matter. Like this is the most storied rivalry in college football and it's for the big 10 East championship and to go to the, you know, go do the other things. Like you don't have to fast forward it. This week is special. Next week is special. Yeah. And I didn't intend for this to be that direction, but this is the reason why we already have an expanded playoff. Like, Yes. Everyone, like, if they had just said, You're, you have to win a conference championship, well, guess what? You just doubled the size of the field without even having to add to argue with the Rose Bowl or any of those other logistics. Like, Alabama and Georgia get to play their way in. Ohio yeah. State and Michigan get to play their way in this week. Yeah. I mean, what more could you ask for? If those are the four teams that are in the top four on Tuesday night, guess what? We're already in the playoff. Yeah. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, a conversation with my co-pilot, Austin Ward. We have a lot of time here because we put the plane on autopilot and just let it kind of fly itself. And then uh, I think I took us to a different airport there. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, man. We went cross-country and we may have ventured into Canada. We may be in trouble. We may have crossed international lines without clearance. Uh, but I digress. Austin Ward, looking forward to this week, man. Looking forward to this next month, man. It's going to be an interesting time and that next month uh i think definitely includes uh uh you being the lead writer there and everything at uh at lettermanrow.com you know, a trip to new york again for the heisman trophy cel- uh, celebration heisman trophy ceremony uh i i think i think cj's pretty much i think he's pretty much nailed that down don't you think i mean at least a trip to new york city yeah I, uh, I have a Flight and hotel already booked for the middle of December. So uh, now the hotel is refundable, but I I have a non-refundable flight um, to uh, go to New York City on that second weekend in December. I, I can't imagine that he wouldn't be a finalist. And I think that on Saturday, we win that game. I think he wins the Heisman. But yeah, uh, Bryce Young may have a counter argument against Georgia. We'll see. Uh, it's got to be. It's got to come from those two. I just point. like how smart you and I are. I mean, I'm, I'm bragging on both of us because there are others who think this way too. But I just kept telling everybody, man, if C.J. Stroud is anywhere close to being as good as we think he is, this was way back in July and August. He's going to be in the Heisman hunt because of this offense, you know. But this offense, uh, in part and parcel is as good as it is because of C.J. Stroud. You know, just, uh, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, like you said a while ago? Hey, you got to have a good chicken. You got to have a nice egg. I mean, what, what, you know, how do you explain <laughs> that? But you don't just put a, an average mediocre quarterback to run the show of an offense like this. And when you've got a great one, wow, he can really take you places. 
And like I said, as we sit here this moment, no one's taken this an Ohio State offense uh, to many more to more places or farther. <laughs> Let's put it that way: average average uh, yards per game than C.J. Stroud did has C.J. Stroud has to this point. Uh, there's something to be said about that. This is legit, right? Yep. And and you say this all the time, like he is behind the wheel of a sports car. There's no doubt about that. But um, as far as I know, they're still not making a lot of those that can drive themselves. So yeah, yeah. somebody has to take the wheel. And, and even to some extent, when we put it that way, and it's not, it's meant as praise for the rest of the pieces around. Him. Yes. Not a knock on the guy driving. It. And I think sometimes what, the way we talk about it and that there's so much around him and, and maybe not you or I, but certainly the conversation that, oh, well, Bryce Young is doing this without Ohio State's wide receivers, like not as much talent. Um, did you say that about Joe Burrow? I mean, did you say that about Mac Jones last year? I know he didn't win it, but I've never heard this argument. Like there's too much around it. And I got sidetracked there, but the point is. I know where you went there, though. I, I saw all the sites on that road trip. Go ahead. Yeah, that, that, that one, I, people can can watch some other shows this week and get my my thoughts on that. But yeah. You know, but the driver still counts. Like, yes. you, you love auto racing. Like, you have the most expensive research team and the best pit crew and everything else that I don't know about. But the driver has to know what to do with it. Yeah. And Stroud has done that. And this team is operating because it has a driver that can take advantage of the vehicle he's in. Yeah. And the main thing you tell that driver before he goes out, hey, I don't care what you do. You know, you do your thing. Just don't crash. Don't wreck it. <laughs> don't crash. And that's that's what if I was Ryan Day, that's what I'd be telling him on Saturday. You know, you got a lot of weapons at your disposal. Somebody's going to be open. You know, if you have the time and, and or eat the football, throw it away. Just don't crash. And we know what a crash is. Uh, so and, but not only does he not know, does he know how to avoid crashing it? He knows he can push the pedal. Yes, he can. He can take it to top speed. He's no longer bashful about standing on the gas. There it is. Ladies and gentlemen, we come to the conclusion of yet another Tim May podcast with co-pilot Austin Ward. Austin Ward, I know your mom on this Thanksgiving week is giving thanks. I'm calling you by your name, That's right. uh, your real God-given name or parents-given name, uh, who I think divine intervention probably came into a play there to give you that name, Austin. Uh, it's funny how they end up living just south of Austin, Texas. Uh, Isn't it, it, it funny how things go? It's it's pretty wild. Yeah. Lots of trip, man. But you know what? Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, when we chop up the Ohio State-Michigan game, in my opinion, we're going to be also looking forward to the Ohio State uh, Big Ten Championship game, uh, probably against Wisconsin. You agree with that, don't you, Austin? I do. Okay. Until then, this is Tim May. We'll see you then. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.